chapter 8, and the live stream is down. I still got a recording light here. Hmm. Um, well, we'll just keep going. Well, uh, open your Bibles to Acts 8. It's on your handout, too, and I'll read from verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading uh, the Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this was the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Please tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture to tell him the, whole, the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled around, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the book of Acts, we see the gospel is on the move. And the church has just been scattered from Jerusalem. And the big question on everyone's minds is this, who is in? Who, who is in the church? Who, who's going to be part of this? Is anyone going to be excluded? How far is the gospel going to go? And at the beginning of Acts, Jesus has just told his followers what's going to happen. He says, you will receive the Holy Spirit and, and you will be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that's exactly what happened at Pentecost when Jews from all around the world gathered to hear the good news in their own language. And the church grew from like 100 people to over 3,000 in just one day. Uh, who's in? Well, apparently Jews from all around the world are in. And then last week we saw the church move from conflict to calling to commission. Uh, there were some Greek-speaking Christians who, who were being left out of the food distribution. And so the Aramaic-speaking disciples decided to call seven men to serve, to works of service. And so the church chose people filled with the Holy Spirit, people like Stephen from last week and, and Philip, who we'll hear about this week, and who they put them to work serving food. But the Spirit had other plans in mind for them too. See, last week I said the Spirit is always the main character in the book of Acts. Uh, uh, this week I read a pastor who said that if you look uh, at your books, it, 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 your Bible, it probably has a subtitle for the book of Acts. It might say Acts of the Apostles. 
Well, he says, no, the acts, uh, that's not the right title. It should be something different. It really should be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because everything that happens in the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit moves Peter to preach the gospel. The Spirit calls deacons to serve in practical matters like food and money. And then suddenly the Spirit turns around and takes those very same deacons and sends them out to, to witness, to preach the good news. Uh, the Spirit doesn't seem to care that they're supposed to be out there waiting on tables. Uh, basically, whenever something happens in the book of Acts, whenever you see the, the, the name the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, something big is going to happen. And the work of the Spirit begins with persecution of the church. The, the after Stephen has suffers this brutal death, there's a serious persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem. And everyone is scattered. The, the disciples go every which way. Uh, they go to Judea and Samaria, which is exactly where Jesus told them they were going to be going. And already the Spirit is moving the church out. And Philip goes to Samaria. He goes to enemy territory, the bizarro land. These people who are Jewish, but not quite Jewish enough. They're, they're not good Jews. They believe in God, but they don't worship at the temple. They don't do things quite right. They're descendants of the people who were left in the land after the exile, and they mixed with other people that the conquerors resettled in, in the area. And these are the descendants. The good Jews avoided Samaria, but we know that Jesus didn't. Jesus went there to preach the good news, and so Philip does too. Philip preaches the gospel there because Jesus told him to go to Samaria. And I love how in verse, eight, uh, verse 12 of chapter 8, uh, he summarizes the gospel this way. He doesn't say, the gospel is the good news that Jesus died for me. No, he says it's the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. That's the, the, the shortest summary you'll get of what the gospel is. The good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus. And the amazing thing is that people believe in Samaria, that they, they are filled with joy and they are baptized. The whole city is filled with joy. So clearly, who, who's in? Well, the Samaritans are in. But who else? Where's the Spirit going to stop? And after being in Samaria for a while, the angel of the Lord uh, sends Philip out into the wilderness. He's supposed to go south from Samaria. Samaria is a, a region a bit north of Jerusalem in the middle of Israel. He's supposed to go south to a wilderness road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now that's a long way from Samaria. It must be at least several days' walk, if not a week. And it's not an easy road between Jerusalem and Gaza. It, it, it wouldn't be called the desert road otherwise. He heads south into the true wilderness, into this dry land with little water. And I, I, if we had been inside today or if I had a screen here today, I'd show you a picture of what that land looks like. It, it's a land of canyons and, and uh, sharp red cliffs, kind of like you'd see in the southwest of the U.S. It's a land where there is no water. It looks totally dry and the dusty road winds through the hills. And then suddenly there can be water. Now, I, I, I took some pictures that I might put on our Facebook page to show you later, but um, Philip goes to the desert, and he does it immediately. He doesn't ask a question. He abandons his successful ministries, the, the work of the Spirit preaching the gospel in Samaria, and he goes, goes to, even though he doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know why he's going to this road. He leaves to follow the Spirit, and along the way, he just happens to meet someone in the wilderness. He just happens that this person is an Ethiopian eunuch, and it just happens that this guy is on his way home from Jerusalem to, to going home to Ethiopia after worshiping in Jerusalem. And it just happens that he's reading Isaiah. And of course, we know the Spirit's fingerprints are all over this. You know, it doesn't just happen. 
happen. The Spirit is at work. And now let's, let's dig a little bit into what's unusual about this person on the road, this Ethiopian eunuch. We don't know his name, but Luke goes out of his way to describe this guy. He's Ethiopian, which means he's from the, the southern ends of the earth. Ethiopia was known as the, the furthest place you could go, the southern end of the world. Uh, it means today the region of southern Egypt and uh, northern Sudan and Ethiopia and more. We also think that this guy was probably black. Uh, we don't know for sure, but uh, often the word Ethiopian at that time was used to describe someone who had really dark skin. This guy is a, a eunuch, which means he is uh, probably a member of the royal family of Ethiopia, but he has been uh, taken out of the line of succession. He is no longer going to produce heirs. He is not a threat to the king or the queen. And so they put him in a position of power. Uh, he is the royal treasurer. He's in charge of all the money. He's high up in the government. And he's gone to Jerusalem to worship, which means that either he is a God-fearing Gentile who somehow has come to know about uh, the God of Israel, or he is a long-lost Jew. Now, there, we know that there was a group of Jews in Ethiopia at this time, and they're still there today. They call themselves the House of Israel. And they've been there since before the exile. Uh, uh, and either way, when he gets to Jerusalem to worship, whether he's a Gentile or a Jew, he is most likely excluded from going into the temple. He, he can't go into the temple grounds because either he's a Gentile and he's not allowed past a certain gate or he's a eunuch and he is not allowed in at all, according to Deut Deuteronomy 23. So what, what a disappointment that must have been when he got to Jerusalem to worship God and found out he could not go into the temple grounds. But still, in Jerusalem, he gets his hands on a copy of the book of Isaiah, which, which means that he can read Greek. Uh, and uh, uh, Pastor Scott Jose asks, where in the whole wide world did this man get his hands on a copy of the book of Isaiah? Where did he get his hands on Isaiah? It's not like he could download it on his Kindle or on his phone like we do. It's not like he could uh, pick it up on his way home at the Jerusalem Barnes and Noble. It's not like he got it at a, a used scroll sale down at the flea market. Uh, it, it, uh, biblical scrolls like this were incredibly rare. They were special. The local synagogue in any town might only have one copy of the scriptures. They were handmade, handwritten. They were expensive. And still somehow this guy has got his hands on a, book, a scroll of Isaiah to read on the way home. Oh, and uh, did I mention that he's reading and driving his chariot? Well, okay, there, there may have been unnamed servants and guards. We don't know for sure. If he's rich, he's probably got people with him on the road. But, but still, he's reading on a bumpy desert road. And then Philip gets this, this, the clearest direction I've ever heard of in, in Scripture from the Holy Spirit. He says, go to, the Spirit says, go to that chariot and, and stay near it. And Philip breaks out in a sprint. He's ready. He's fit. He has been listening to the Holy Spirit. And one commentator says that Philip literally chases down the chariot along the road. And in that moment, the Spirit is breaking barriers of, of class and, and society and ethnicity and status. God is chasing after the eunuch. Now, Philip knows his scriptures, too, because he can clearly hear this guy is reading aloud from the book of Isaiah. He knows Isaiah so well, he knows what part of Isaiah the man is reading. And all these things come together in this moment. It doesn't just happen. The Spirit brought these two men together on this particular moment, in this particular place, for this particular mission. And Philip opens a dialogue with this guy with a question. It's a good way to start. Do you understand what you are reading? 
Uh, he doesn't tell him anything yet. He opens up a chance for this Jewish-style dialogue of mutual learning. And uh, the second question comes back quickly. The eunuch says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Now, who do you think that person might be? See, the Holy Spirit has sent Philip here for this very reason, and the eunuch may not know it yet, but even so, he welcomes this dirty, dusty runner from the road into his chariot to sit with him. Already the Spirit is crossing boundaries and moving people across the old boundaries, and then they read Scripture together. And one lesson we can draw from this is that the reading of Scripture always should be communal. It, it bends toward the communal, according to Willie Jennings. Uh, we shouldn't study the Bible always alone because we need wise Christian community to, to do it well. Uh, th that's an important principle, so I'll say it again a different way. Uh, we Reformed Christians, and really most Christians around the world, believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to each of us through the Word, not just individually, but as a community. That we listen to the Spirit, and we filter that through Scripture, and we check with other believers to make sure we're on the right track. The Spirit will not tell you to do something that is not biblical, the, the Spirit will use Christian community to, through the centuries to help you understand Scripture. And you need all three. You need Scripture and Spirit and community. And the passage that the eunuch is reading just happens to be Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is one of the suffering servant songs, one of these songs that we often think of as being about Jesus. It says, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested, for he was cut off from the land of the living? Now this man, this eunuch who has been cut off from having descendants, he reads about a suffering servant. He's probably been excluded from worshiping in the temple. He knows about humiliation, and now he reads this text about a suffering servant. Now he wonders what it means, is the prophet. And then, then that brings us to the third question. He asks Philip, is the prophet talking about himself or, or someone else? And, and since the road to Emmaus, the church has gone to the prophets like Isaiah to help make sense of what Jesus did. Philip knows his stuff by now. He, he's heard Peter's sermon on Pentecost Day. He's heard the, the stories from people who walked on Emmaus Road. He's studied the scriptures all his life. He was born for this moment. And Philip begins to tell him the, the story of the good news, beginning with that scripture and probably moving on to other ones, uh, until the good news of Jesus' name and of God's kingdom is declared and oh, uh, how I wish we could have heard their words as they walked along, as they drove along the road. What other scriptures did Philip go to? What other questions did the eunuch ask? How far did they go along the road? And then the eunuch brings up the final question. And this one is the best one of all. It's my favorite in the whole text. It's the one that drives the whole story and the whole church further along the road of the Spirit. See, they come to some water along the desert road. It's a, a wadi, an, an arroyo, a, a narrow canyon in the desert with somehow a pool of water and some green trees growing. It's a place of refreshment in a dry land. And the eunuch asks, what can stand in the way of my being baptized? Now, curiously, we don't get the answer to the question. No one says anything, and Philip doesn't say anything, or if he does, we don't have it recorded. In fact, Philip doesn't say another word in the whole story. All we see is action. We see what they do. The chariot stops. They get out, both of them, and they go down into the water. 
and Philip baptizes the eunuch, like Jesus taught them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, he, he's learned his lesson from Samaria when he made a mistake in baptizing people uh, just in the name of Jesus, but that's a story for another day. Because th the important thing is that baptism, the, the sign, the sacrament of baptism, is not about the person who does it. Just like, just like when Jesus disappeared after breaking bread with his followers on the Emmaus Road, it's not the person that makes the sacrament holy. It is the Spirit moving through bread, moving through water, moving the church along the way of witness. Because the answer to the eunuch's question here is the most important question for the, for the early church, and maybe for the church of all ages. What is to stop me from being baptized? In other words, who's in? Who's welcome at the table? Who is in the church and who is out? Who is the Spirit calling to follow Jesus? And where are we? See, the Spirit is moving in Acts, and every time the Spirit moves in the book of Acts, another boundary gets broken, another wall comes down, and another group of people is welcomed into God's church. Because the answer to the question, what's to stop me, is nothing. Who is in? Everyone. And maybe the eunuch and Philip have read a little further in Isaiah, getting to chapter 56, where it says this. This is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give, uh, to them I will give within my temple and within its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord and to minister to Him, to love the name of the Lord and to be His servants, and all who keep His Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to His commandments, to His covenant. Then these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. They will burn offerings and sacrifices that will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares this, he who gathers the exiles of Israel. I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. Because Everyone is welcome in the body of Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus, says Paul in Galatians 3.28. See, Jews from every nation come to follow Jesus at Pentecost, and then, and then Samaritans, and then this Ethiopian eunuch from a, a distant land. But the Spirit is not done yet. The, soon we're going to see it'll be Saul, that famous persecutor of the church. And, and then Peter will meet Cornelius and say, now I understand that it's true that God does not show favoritism to anyone, but accepts everyone from every nation who fears him and does what is right. And even Gentiles are welcome in the church. And now ne next week we'll find out that it's not quite so simple for the early church, that the early church struggled to figure out what to do with outsiders, with Gentiles. Should they convert and become Jews? Do they have to follow the law and the rituals of the Jews? And the answer is, as, as we are living proof, the answer is no. No, no, nothing prevents people from every tribe and every nation from coming to follow Jesus. And that's the work of the Spirit. The gospel calls all kinds of people to follow Jesus. And it's not the people we're most comfortable with. It's sometimes people who make us uncomfortable. It's people who usually get left out. It's people who get picked last on the games in the field. It's the ones who have been hurt and humiliated. It's the ones who are lost and lonely. That's who the Spirit calls in the gospel, to the gospel in the book of Acts. And that's who the Spirit calls today. Look around. 
Uh, think of those who are excluded, the ones who are excluded that the Spirit calls today. And listen to the Spirit. And like Philip, get up and go. Run along with the Spirit. Chase the chariot. Ask a question. Start a, a Spirit-led conversation that leads to Scripture and welcome and community and witness and baptism. Because the Spirit calls everyone to this way of witness. And it is a lonely desert road that Philip walks. But yes, it is a road of promise. A road that promises that community will be found on the way. It's the people that you read Scripture with who, who you walk with along the way. And there is water along the way, too. There is baptism. There is refreshment. There is the Holy Spirit coming upon you in power. And that is the church. It's the ones with whom you are baptized into the body of Christ. It's the ones called on the way of witness. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. O oh Holy Spirit, you call us like Philip on the way of witness. And, and it, it's a road that, that comes upon us and we're not expecting it. And we don't know who will meet on it. But we trust that your spirit equips us and prepares us for that way. For the people we meet along the way. For the words we speak along the way. For the welcome we give along the way. And for the welcome that we find. For we who welcome are welcomed by your spirit into the church. And all are welcome in this place. So we give you thanks and praise for what your spirit is doing then and now to, to break down the walls and expand the boundaries and call all people to the name of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God. We give you thanks and praise and ask you that you open our eyes to, to see, our, our, our ears to listen, and our feet to run along the way of witness, along the way of the spirit with you. This we pray in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's continue in worship before.